Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover three and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Let's get these likes up and come and join us in the chat. Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time, a very interactive episode of the Cover 3 podcast. As always, we'd love to hear from you in the live chat, but we have also gathered up some questions from the big old bag of mail reminder if you would like to submit a question for a future mailbag episode the best way to do that is leave us a five-star review and in that review put your question we'll add it to the big old bag of mail and tackle it in a future mailbag episode got a little nfl draft talk in this one as well as a, a look back at texas and uh oh, the age-old question what would happen if the best college team went up against the worst pro team well daggummit it might be a blowout we'll set a betting line for it how about that but first uh several headlines that we want to get to uh, the first one um just this morning uh, chris lowe has uh, just reported that man this Ole miss quarterback room all right so Ole miss has apparently landed a commitment, not apparently, reportedly, according to Chris Lowe, landed a commitment from former Oklahoma State quarterback Spencer Sanders. A lot of football played by Spencer Sanders in his time. But this comes one day after we've got a commitment from former LSU quarterback Walker Howard, uh, a blue chip who followed uh, Brian Kelly from Notre Dame, followed his commitment, Brian, Brian Kelly from Notre Dame to LSU. And we still have jackson dart in that quarterback room so good gracious what is lane kiffin hoarding at ole miss how in the world are we going to have a spencer sanders a walker howard and a jackson dart and what we're gonna have three quarterback system he's changing the game forever (laughs) or oh my goodness I can't believe this is even allowed to happen. They have to compete for their job. Like, oh. What is happening? What is wrong with Ole Miss making them compete and actually earn their playing time? This is Lane Kiffin should be fired. You cannot have three quarterbacks. You have to guarantee somebody their starting job or else it's an invalid quarterback room. Like it doesn't count. Like this should be not a big deal. And yet, I had the same reaction you guys did. Like, oh my gosh, what does Walker Howard think? He just committed here. Now he's got another guy in the room, and they already have a guy who's played a lot. But this it shouldn't be that big of a deal. But I say kudos to Lane Kiffin because I think I've told you guys on here before. If I was a coach, I would try to stack the quarterback room as much as I could and tell him, hey, you'll, I'll give you an opportunity to compete. If you don't win, I get it. You can transfer. But give give throw your hat in the ring and we'll give it to the best man and see if he can win. Now you have options and competition will allow the best to rise to the top. So I think it's great. I think it's a great job by Lane Kiffin. I'm I'd be very curious to know what the players think. You know, obviously Spencer Sanders knows everything. Everything's on the table before him. But I'm curious to know what Jackson Dart thinks. What uh, Walker Howard thinks. Like those guys are probably a little bit like whoa. They might be in for a little bit of awakening that they might not have seen coming. I I don't disagree with any of that. I will say I think it's far more likely Jackson Dart transfers to TCU or someplace else than it is he sticks around to play to be with those three. Um I don't know. It's it's odd. 
what Chris Lowe also reported that what Sanders was down to Ole Miss and Auburn, mm-hmm. right? Is it not kind of strange that he chose that situation at Ole Miss over the situation at Auburn? I, I mean, we use the word chose. Are we sure that both schools could get him in? I mean, that's the kind of thing is like, like sometimes we're dealing with incomplete information when it comes to the portal. You know, I, like some of these top guys can get into one school and can't get into another. And I'm not saying that that is the case with, with Spencer Center. I'm just raising the point. Not everybody is always able to get everywhere that they quote unquote, you know, I don't even know if he put out a top two. That's just reporting by whomever you said it was Chris Lowe, I think. Chris Lowe, yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe the chance of getting into Ole Miss was higher than the chance of getting into Auburn. I'm not saying Auburn's a better school or anything, but maybe it was. I, I don't know. Has Walker Howard enrolled at Ole Miss yet? Like, do you think after putting out that graphic and then making his big announcement and everything that he would see this and then buck it? I, I don't think so, but it's certainly possible, right, if he has not enrolled. Uh, although we are getting pretty late as far as when you can actually enroll and get into school at, at most of these places. Now, if you're on the quarter system, it's a little different, and some schools have an advantage on quarter system, but Ole Miss is on the semester system, according to Google. So uh, Somehow, magically – some of those issues just go away if the guy is talented enough. Mm-hmm. Like even with because uh, when I was following the Rashada case, like all his stuff and when he could enroll, there were a bunch of things that said, yes, the deadline was Friday, but <laughs> there could be exceptions made within the next couple weeks, you know, saying they could figure something out. So I think it would be the same here. See, that's kind of what I was getting at, though, too, because it's not so much the academic situation. It's just I feel like I think Spencer Sanders is a good quarterback. I think Jackson Dart is a good quarterback. I don't know which one of those two would win a competition with each other. Maybe Walker Howard outplays both of them and wins the starting job. It's just isn't there. I'm just surprised that Spencer Sanders would go to Ole Miss when I feel like there's a clearer path to the field at other places right now. So. Kudos to Lane for getting all three of them. It's just it's it's a decision that when I first saw the tweet this morning from Lowe announcing it, it was just kind of like it really caught me off guard because I was like, huh, I would have thought Spencer Sanders could have found somewhere that was a little more, you know, direct. Like he's it's his final year of eligibility. Like this is clearly his last chance to convince an NFL team that he's an NFL player. It's just weird to me that he's going to a place where he might not be guaranteed snaps. In terms of playing style. What Ole Miss is running with Quinchon Judkins and with the trying to do a, a versatile uh, ground attack that involves the quarterback run, I mean that that fits Spencer Sanders. Like he should be able to show up and he should be able to be successful within this system. It's also hilarious to think that Lane found out Auburn was in the mix and just wanted to snipe him from Hugh Freeze. I mean that's that like that's what I really want. Because what didn't didn't we get some Hugh Lane sniping even in the like shortly after uh, the hire was made and we're already starting to get some back and forth and it's some. Uh, Lane got his Twitter fingers out and started taking some shots at freeze. And now he's just taking quarterbacks because he can. I mean, that's this is what I would like to imagine just because it'd be hilarious. But ultimately, Spencer Sanders is a playing style good fit for what we saw from Ole Miss's offense last year, especially with Judkins coming back. Yeah, I mean, look, 18 to 8 touchdown interception ratio, 7.6 yards per attempt is it's pretty disappointing from Dart within this Lane, Lane Kevin offense. I mean, Lane schemes it up for you. You don't have to do a ton of thinking compared to some of these offenses, like literally some of the ones in that division. Um, like You should be much better. Basically, every quarterback who plays for Lane has better numbers than that. And I I just – if you're Ole Miss, can you run Dart out there again? I Like, I think you bring in Spencer Sanders to start. And if you bring in Walker Howard, I would expect him to beat, beat Jackson Dart out. I mean, Jackson Dart has some talent, but didn't really get with the program as far as the overall production stuff. The question there is – he already transferred from USC. Is he a graduate? Can he go again? Or yeah. does he have some basis for a waiver claim uh, that would allow him to transfer elsewhere if he doesn't win the job coming out of spring? At what point is a waiver claim going to be? Oh, uh, yeah, they signed too many guys. I lost out. To, like At some point, that's probably where we're going to get to. I love it from Spencer Sanders' perspective because he just dropped his nuts on the table and was like, let's go. Like He knew who was there, and I guarantee he thinks I'm better He's than these guys, than and I have to respect that. Yep, former Big 12 Offensive Rookie of the Year, uh, very productive in throughout his time with Oklahoma State. Again, Chris Lowe uh, reporting this morning <clears throat> that Spencer Sanders has chosen Ole Miss over Auburn. Is it? Do we think Jackson Dart does stick around, or do we think he's out? I 
maybe i don't know i was just i just feel like the way that things work like danny was talking about it's great to have competition it's just the, the way you see things work is my my theory is one of these three will end up transferring out um, i think it's just absolutely mm-hmm. i think it'll probably be after the spring though you get to size everybody up you know mm-hmm. you go through the spring practice you kind of get to see all right how many reps are they getting and you kind of figure it out like you'll see the writing on the wall so if jackson dart is looking around saying, man, he's getting a lot of reps, starting to, you know, establish himself as a leader, either one in the huddle, in the locker room, you know, I could be in a little bit of trouble. Jackson Dart, if you could add some online classes to your course load and get faster to uh, your undergraduate degree, that'd be a great way to be able to play immediately uh, if you do need to head out and be somewhere else for the fall. Um, if you need any tips on no-show classes, holler at your boy. I got you right here. Um, okay. So Two-time felon, Chip Patterson. Yeah. But you also offer those to regular students, so it's not a violation, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. The, the, the real, the, the non-athletes were in there too. So, um, all right. We have TCU. We discussed Garrett Riley to Clemson yesterday. Did not get a chance to hit what was reported and then finally uh, started moving further along down the line on Wednesday afternoon. And that is that former the Arkansas offensive coordinator, Kendall Bryles, will fill Garrett Riley's vacancy at TCU. This brings Kendall Bryles back to the Big 12, where he was an assistant under his father, Art, for many years. Uh, it has him back in Texas, where, of course, he has a, a lot of deep ties. And uh, somebody who has used a lot of air raid principles during his time as an offensive assistant and offensive coordinator links him up with Sonny Dykes, who, of course, is from the air raid tree as well. The hire does not come without some controversy or chatter, as, of course, Kendall Bryles, like many of those Baylor assistants, will always be tied to the sexual assault scandal that occurred at Baylor under Art Bryles' tenure. And so um, there, there is the, the football side of things, which I think there's two sides to that as well. And then there is, of course, um, you know, TCU, which... And I don't know, I'm not, I'm not as educated enough in the TCU fan base, but I, I at least saw the commentary that TCU fans, you know, had pointed at Baylor throughout a lot of the scandal. They are rivals, right? And so you were, you know, pointing at them, you, you're bad, you know, and now you've got Kendall Bryles. So uh, it's a little bit of cognitive dissonance right there. Uh, football side of things, non-football side of things. What's the, what's the biggest takeaway right now from Kendall Bryles to TCU? I think like the, Kendall, the, the TCU fans who are on Twitter, right, are generally against the move. But Twitter represents a very small portion of the fan base. Agreed. Right, I, I think. Like, it's it's the the loud, very online, usually have a certain slant to them, you know, type, type thing. I bet you most TCU fans don't really care about it. And I mean, the bottom line on this is Kendall has been hired by, what, three state schools in a row? FAU, Florida State, Arkansas. So he's passed whatever checks those schools ran. I think that gives TCU cover to hire. It is obviously like a lot of cognitive distance because they they were the most sort of vocal against Baylor when all that stuff went down just from a rivalry standpoint. That's what, yeah, that's what stands out to me. Um, But look, Art doesn't have a job in in D1 football and and we'll never get one. I'm fairly certain, right? I, I talked to a coach about this the other day. He's like, just, just can't do it, man. But Kendall, like nobody has anything on him as far as these schools when they run these checks. So uh, he's going to keep getting jobs and his offense scores. And, you know, if you're Arkansas, last year was supposed to be a big step up year, right? Had some dark horse SC West stuff. I don't think from us, but it was out there. They went seven and six. That to me, Arkansas is a paycheck job, right? Mm. You, t- you take the job because you get really rich as the head coach but the expectations are not actually meetable. And so eventually you get fired. If, if you're Kendall, you restart your clock here. There, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's one of those situations where like the TCU fans who have a problem with it, I understand why you have a problem with it. I'm kind of with you for why you have a problem with it, but that's just not the way it works. And it's not like Kendall Bryles is the only person from that Baylor staff and that Baylor administration who's moved on to other jobs. So I can understand the pushback on it, but like Bud was saying, the reality of the situation is he's a good coach. His offenses have scored points, and that is always going to outweigh pretty much everything else at this point, especially because for all the terrible things that happened at Baylor, and for some of the stuff that Kendall Browse may or may not have, you know, like 
this is weird to say, but it's not even weird to say. It's just he defended his father, which I get where you can be against what he's defending, but it's also still his father. So it's kind of it's not really fair for you to ask somebody to betray their family just because you're angry with their father. You know what I mean? So it's just a really odd situation. It's a delicate situation. It's a difficult situation. And it's one that will probably be swept away pretty quickly. As soon as TCU starts scoring points. Don't you think this is more about an indictment on Arkansas than it is yes. about T- like five T- assistants yeah. are out. Mm-hmm. Dudes, yeah. dudes are resigning and then going to get a job at temple. Right. Uh, you know, like linebackers coach goes with Barry Odom when Barry Odom gets the head coaching job at UNLV says, I would rather be over here. Um, I, Kendall Bryles, Kendall Bryles is the fifth assistant coach from Sam Pittman's 2022 staff that has left. Yes, 100%, Danny. We'll say and the they, vibes have really shifted around TCU pretty quick, haven't they? Like everything was feel good. Then they get absolutely destroyed in the title game. A ton of key players are going to the NFL. They lose their OC, and then they bring in like the controversial replacement. It's just like very, very strong vibe shift in Fort Worth. Yeah, I, th- I, I think they'll be okay, though. So do I. I'm just saying. It's like just you think of where the narrative was surrounding this program two weeks ago compared to where it is now. To Danny's point on Arkansas, I mean, I, I yeah, uh, there are still definitely some good coaches on that staff, and maybe they'll be better than I think, but. I mean that that's kind of a four and four in the SEC every year type job and, and your your the rest of your record depends on what you do in the non conference, right? Uh you know, this year they had a hell of a non conference schedule. They they went on the road to BYU. They they played Liberty in the middle of their SEC slate. Right? They played well, obviously they played Petrino uh as well at, at Missouri State. I don't know if they knew he was there when when they scheduled the ball game. Uh, but they do have a little easier non conference next year. It's just that's a hard job to win at. And like Kendall was heavily rumored to be involved with Mississippi State. Again, mm-hmm. another re, another restart the clock move. I mean, if you read the tea leaves, like I like Sam Pittman, but it's not like the guy has a track record of success as a head coach at all. And once the vibes wear off and they're like, okay, this guy actually doesn't have us playing that far above expectation level and historical performance. I mean, this is a seven and five type program most years in the SEC, depending on what you do in the non-con. How long is he going to be there? You know, unless they really overachieve. Maybe he's there a long time. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but I don't think I am. Stinks for KJ Jefferson and Rocket Sanders. Does KJ Jefferson go to go to TCU? Oh, like Rocket, I would stay. I think Arkansas has got a nice offensive line. I'm a running back. Right. I know Sam Pittman wants to run the rock. KJ Jefferson. Um, I saw Brandon Marcello note this in his story <clears throat> about the hire. Jefferson is a. Uh, Jefferson is on pace to become like Arkansas's all-time passer. Like, I mean, just like going down as one of the like great he's played a lot of football history. Yeah, it's kind of a volume thing, but like yeah. he's a good and, college player. And system evolution, like they're throwing like all of it kind of combined is the perfect and he's I agree with Bud, like he's a good college player. But like, did we use the Arkansas as winners on the players returning? Mm-mm. I don't think definitely so. Definitely not. No, right. No. Like a, it was um, it was notable, but not like it wasn't there. There wasn't a second or a third. Like we didn't have levels to it where we felt like for the NFL draft deadline that they had picked up a bunch of big surprises or a bunch of big wins along the way. Like I think KJ's best year was two years ago. I don't think you're going to replicate that again this year. He was definitely banged up more this year. I I oh, said man. in our in our twenty four seven Slack, I was like, are we sure if he went to TCU that he would start over Morris? Uh, and like everybody pushed back and we're like, no, it's de- like definitely KJ. I was like, I don't know. I'm not a huge KJ stand. I think he's a good player, but I don't think he's like generationally good. Also, like I can't remember what the number was, but I remember when I was doing draft prep and all that stuff last year, if you looked at the amount of KJ's passing yards that were trailing Burks after the catch, it was a pretty large percentage. Mm, a lot of those yards along the way. So again, Kendall Bryles off the TCU. Sam Pittman got a, a big old job ahead of himself to uh, to remake that Razorback staff as they go into a 2023 season, year four for Sam Pittman. Um, I, I don't know. Again, like Bud said, I don't know what you set the expectation at, but 
year four is a, a judgment year. So we'll see uh, how Arkansas looks going into the season. Again, Kendall Bryles gone off to TCU, replacing Garrett Riley. Uh, one other bit of transfer news before we uh, before we head op- over to the big old bag of mail. The AD Mitchell out at Georgia. Very like always an important talking point throughout this season. Kirby Smart. Hey, we just need to get healthier at wide receiver. Uh, the Cover Three podcast. You know, AD Mitchell's back. This is a big reason why we think that Georgia's passing attack is going to be different. And sure enough, just like he did last year in the college football playoff, he showed up with some big catches in crucial times. Um, this is a Georgia team that also had some boosting in the transfer portal. They got Missouri's second best wide receiver. They got Mississippi State's best wide receiver. And so as we look at the uh, A.D. Mitchell departure, what's the is it, does this feel like a, a big loss for the Bulldogs offense as we get into the Carson Beck and or Brock Vandegrift era in 2023? I think it's clearly happening because Stetson's gone and now he has to go find a real quarterback again. I Honestly, my thought is I think Munkin's gone. Ooh. Because Munkin is somebody whose name has come up for, you know, NFL jobs as offensive coordinators. Just this morning, Todd Munkin's name has been connected to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who fired Byron Leftwich. Danny, get your suit on. You might have to go talk about that. <laughs> but just, I wonder if it's just a situation where, you know, Stetson's leaving. You don't know who your starting quarterback will be just yet, although I think, you know, you have a pretty good idea. You might have a new offensive coordinator. Maybe he's just trying to, you know, get his situation settled for next season before going to the NFL. I kind of think that this is like Mitchell reading the tea leaves. And even though he might be the most talented guy in that room, uh, Georgia did go ahead and bring in the SEC's leading receiver in Dominic Lovett and then also Ra-Ra Thomas from Mississippi State. And sort of like Jermaine Burton did last year, saying like, how many catches am I really going to get? Georgia runs the ball a lot. It's not an offense that caters to receivers necessarily. I think McConkie's still back too, and they, oh, they yeah. still like they still like throwing him the ball. Uh, and you know, Barack Bowers, right? Exactly. Bad, so bad. there's Texas definitely wants to throw the ball more. USC would throw it more. Those are the two schools that are that are most rumored. Which of course, no tampering here, obviously. But uh, it, it's it's cool to have two leaders immediately once you hit the portal. Uh, but look, I mean. The one position Georgia has not developed very well, and I don't think this is an indictment on the current the current receivers coach. I think they made a change there because they realized it wasn't up to snuff last year. Uh, is receiver right? Every other position they develop at a really high rate. It seems like uh, so they probably have some catching up to do there as far as matriculating their high school guys. They finally like last year they went to the portal for zero dudes. This year they took two, and they're both at the same position. I think that's a commentary on the room. And I think Mitchell reads the room and says, okay, where, where, how many catches am I really going to get? This is my money year. Good point. I think, I mean, think about him sitting on the sideline watching Marvin Harrison Jr. just, tor- you know, get all these stats, watching the receivers at Tennessee, whether it was last year with Tillman, this year with Hyatt, just put up monster numbers. He's probably, and I get he's been hurt, but he's like, he's, he hasn't had a game that's been like a wow game. He probably wants to go play somewhere where we can have a little more fun as a receiver. You know, I mean, receivers like to put it, they like to get their numbers, right? Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah, I got we, no problem with it. Yeah. We've, again, we've talked about him more in terms of his absence and like waiting for him to come back than necessarily uh, celebrating these amazing performances. So he's, oh, we've always deemed him important, but he is, he's not yet been able to, uh, to get those headlines. And like we mentioned, with McConkie, with Bowers, with the transfer portal additions, it, it is already going to be uh, going to be competition to be able to get those uh, few passes that are out there. Coming up on the other side, we dive into the big old bag of mail with a question from a listener who would like to know how we would compare Will Levis to Anthony Richardson if we were an NFL draft franchise and they were both on the clock. We'll get into that and more next. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. And a reminder, if you would like to submit a question for a future mailbag episode, the best way to do it is to leave a five-star review. And in that review, put your question. This question comes from I Love Ish. Big Ish Smith 
stand, I guess, right here. Uh, let me start off by saying I'm in agreement with you guys that I am not believing in the Will Levis hype, but I feel like he is getting way more love than Anthony Richardson. When I think of the two, I feel like both players will be drafted because of potential. In my opinion, Richardson is a better runner and has a more live arm. So why do you guys think draft analysts like Levis more? I don't think Richardson has a more live arm than Will Levis. Really? Really. I think he could throw it hard. I don't think he's got a better arm than Will Levis. I don't think it, this is a weird thing because it's, I'm not super high on either of them where they are right now, which is what kind of makes it a good question and a difficult evaluation because you're kind of just looking at two molds of clay right now. But I just, I, Will Levis was really hard to judge this year because that offensive line sucked. And he had absolutely nothing to work with back there. And he was under pressure immediately and in scramble mode. But when Will Levis gets time, I get it. Anthony Richardson has not had, I haven't seen enough. Anthony Richardson does some amazing stuff. I haven't seen Anthony Richardson do the basic stuff enough to really have a ton of faith in him. Like, I think if you're drafting Anthony Richardson, he's got a ton of potential. I just think it's going to take about, two to three years to really tap into it still. And you're not going to get that. You know, it's the only way he's going to learn is by playing. I don't know if how many NFL teams are going to be wanting him to play for two to three years because then it's going to be somebody else coaching him when he's finally figured it out. I, I've seen both these guys throw in person. And so I, I was like, I don't know who necessarily throws it harder, but they both have a ton of juice. Like, mm-hmm. like I, 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 they have so much arm strength that at, at a certain point, I'm not really sure it matters. Right. It's like, okay, this guy's an A and he's an A plus arm strength wise. They can both make all the throws. They can make all the throws even when they're not balanced in the pocket. They, like they can make most of the throws without really stepping into it. I, I would compare it baseball wise. Levis is more of a dude who clearly has a lot of good pitches. And why doesn't he strike more guys out? And can we work with him to, to do this? Richardson is like a more raw pitching prospect. It's like, well, he throws 99. He flashes the slider. You know, can, can we, can, he's just Tom Neal. He's, he's like not as far along in his development. And to the offensive line point, Florida had one of the best offensive lines in college football this year. I mean, they have two draft prospects and two more kids who hit the portal and are going to be highly coveted. So um, they're both really, really toolsy prospects. I just don't know. I do think, I think Levis is, is is further ahead. I mean, first of all, he's got a lot more game film and better mm-hmm. game film. You know, I wouldn't put his film up there with Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. Those guys no. have really good film, especially Stroud with the game against Georgia. Um, I think with Anthony Richardson, you might have to build – you might have to cater the offense to his skill set because he is such a dynamic runner, which is a trend. A lot – NFL teams are starting to embrace it more, which is why we're even talking – a buzz about Anthony Richardson because I think he's more physically gifted in totality. But I also think Levis, you've got a little bit of a floor there where you could say, all right, like I, cause I, I, maybe it's too harsh. I think he's closer to Mitch Trubisky than he is to Josh Allen, but like Trubisky wasn't bad. Like he wasn't the answer, but he was like serviceable. He went out. I think if, if Richardson misses, it could be bad. Like bust, doesn't you know you know just doesn't work out at all i think with levis there's there's a safety net there a little bit also i you know and i haven't met either one of these kids i'm sure they're both great kids but levis i think is going to interview off the charts and you know he's got a degree with a 4-0 like he's got a lot of intangibles you know this you know the mayo thing is weird what's that (laughs) The Mayo, Mayo thing is weird. I don't know. That's a strike on my scouting report. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree. But Patrick Mahomes likes ketchup on his eggs, which caught a lot of heat. But that was we found that after. Thank goodness, or he might have dropped to the second round. <laughs> is, there, is there a correlation between terrible food takes and being a great quarterback? What if Maybe. <laughs> Although well, I like deliver- ketchup on my eggs too, so I don't know if there is. Well, yeah, I'm gonna say like when you're at the diner and they deliver the farmer's breakfast, it is not uncommon for ketchup to be on the table. Some people like them on the hash browns, on the potatoes, which is a little bit you know more conventional than throwing them on the eggs. But if they mix up a little bit, that's okay. You have to put in a special request at the diner when the coffee comes and you say, excuse me, could we get the mayo 
brought out to the table <laughs> for no, my coffee. See, here's the thing. I'll put hot sauce on my eggs. That's fine. I don't mind the ketchup on the eggs. He puts ketchup on his steak. That is where it's like, what are we doing, bro? You're lucky you're very good because you wouldn't be playing for my team making decisions like that if you weren't. Is, is he a, a steak well done kind of guy? I don't know, but he's. you'd think somebody from Texas would have more respect for beef. That's all I'm saying, <laughs> than putting ketchup on it. Um, all right, so one other addition to this question. Um, it, it is aimed at you, Mr. Elliott. Also, Bud, can we quickly get a little love for some of the recruits coming out of Idaho? We've got kids committed to Oregon, Utah, Boise, Kansas State, and Stanford this year and had Loveland going to Michigan this year. And I'm curious if the growth of the state is something you guys take notice of at 24-7. Love the show, guys. Keep up the great work. So we don't, like, like when we're we're ranking kids, we're not like, hey, we need to have at least three, four stars from Idaho. We need to have X number of, you know, kids rated four or five from California. Uh, But, I mean, they certainly are producing a little bit more. I haven't tracked this, like, totally, but I I am taking notice of it some. Um, like there are certain states that are exploding in population and are, are producing more talents. And, you know, like I, I think we can probably stamp Georgia as a better football state than California now, as far as producing recruits, you know, at least like the volume of top end kids, California still produces a, a ton of kids overall. Uh, but I mean, it's certainly a thing to continue to track because if uh, I, I do wonder if some of the kids who are no longer living in Cali, I've looked at this some. I think they're going to other Western states that are more affordable to live Can in. you say Arizona is having seeing that right a- now? Arizona, Arizona outside of Vegas, yeah. Utah, Utah has exploded. Um, it's just, I mean, it's just really, really expensive to live in California, right? In, in a place in California where you would actually want to live, like not in the middle of the desert. Uh, so, yeah, like the... the and the Boise area has like one of those, like, has it seen a population boom? Yes. Yeah. 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 Quite a bit. All right. Next question comes from Jimmy. And this might be simple, but I thought that it could be educational for our listeners. And, and we always want to be able to uh, try to help our listeners out. Uh, Jimmy says, why is Texas's predictive metrics so good as a five loss team? FPI had them at seven. Is it the one score games? Is it the close loss to Bama? If they didn't route Oklahoma and Kansas, parentheses, two biggest wins from my eye, would they be rated so highly? Top Uh, 10 team in a predictive metrics as a five-loss team at the end of the season. Why? So, all right, let's go through it. If you, if, if, if let, let's pretend I'm a computer system, right? Maybe some people in the chat would say that I that, that I was. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right, definitely. So they chip neural link. They smoked UL Monroe, which you're not getting any plus points, but you're not getting any negative points for that, right? Like they beat them slightly more than expectation. Like they the line was what 30, 38, they beat them at 42, whatever. Bama, who the project like the predictive metrics still see as a top three or four level team. They played to one point. So the the predictive metrics do not care if you win or lose. They care how well you actually play. And so they see Texas as equal to Bama. One point, non-fluky result. Then you take UTSA, which most of the systems I think are going to look at as like a top, what, top 40 team, 40, I think we could yeah. say conservatively. Okay. And you beat them by three scores. So that's a good win. Like they, they, they beat UTSA by that. Texas Tech, they outplayed Texas Tech in almost every fashion. Texas Tech beating Texas was in the top three luckiest results, like literally flukiest results of the season. Texas Tech got almost every fourth down. They got almost every bounce in that ball game. It was just a wild game. The computer is looking at that and are saying, what's repeatable skill? What's luck? Because if I'm projecting going forward, I cannot project you to have luck going forward. I can only project you to repeat the stuff that shows you have repeatable skill not the stuff that was luck. And so they're saying, wow, Texas outgained Texas Tech by X. They outgained them on a yards play basis by X. They dominated field position by by whatever. All those factors that we know are more predictable and more repeatable. Texas was outplaying Texas Tech in almost every one of them. I mean, Connolly had them at a 98% postgame win expectancy. It was one of the flukiest results, not only of this year, but of the last few years, right? West Virginia, soundly defeated, 38-20. Not really – 
super close ball game. Oklahoma, here's where I think they're juiced a little bit. Oklahoma rated fairly well in the predicted metrics because they also, most of their losses were close-ish, except for when they played without their quarterback. And at the pro level, we have player-based modeling. In college, we really don't, right? We have team-versus-team-based modeling. So FPI and SP Plus and those ratings out there, which are very predictive, actually, they don't know that Oklahoma did not have their quarterback in that ballgame. So that is giving them more points. So as a computer, I don't know that. Oh, 49 to nothing over Oklahoma. Cool. Iowa State, they're going to get dinged for that a little bit. Now, their postgame win expectancy was fairly high there, so the computer doesn't know that they only won by three necessarily. It's looking at, again, their stuff that's more predictive. Kansas State, most systems I thought think had Kansas State as like a top 10-ish type team. They soundly beat Kansas State on the road, right? They almost put that thing in the garbage time in the third quarter. They had to hold on for dear life at the very end, but, I mean, they were, were in control most of that game. TCU, they're going to get dinged for that. TCU could have beat them by more, to be honest. And then they go on the road. They kill a Kansas team that, what we say, Kansas is top 70, top 60? Mm, not lower than that. Yeah. All right, yeah. So, like, look, look, if you beat on the road a top 70 team and you beat them by 45 or whatever it was, you're going to get some good points for that. And then they also beat, like, a top 35, top 25-ish Baylor team soundly. Their wins were very good. Their losses almost to a point were, were literally like by a point. And the stuff that's actually predictive, they were very good at. A lot of their losses were pretty fluky. So that's what I see as a computer. Let's be honest. It's all about the Bama game. They kept it close to Bama. So yeah. They must be good. And they're going to be good. A role. <clears throat> yep. And I mean, they're going to the SEC. We know that in the computer. Beep, beep, beep. Yeah. SEC. There are, <laughs> there, like budget, there, are, there are metrics that are more strongly correlated with predictive and future performance that teams that are good at are typically in the long run going to be good at them. Texas is good at a lot of those things. It's just Texas is bad at some other things that don't really, you know, they get, there's bad luck and then there's just, you know, it's some stuff that isn't rated and it's weird because it's been under so many different coaching staffs, but this is a team that has a lot of quote unquote bad luck befall it constantly where you start to wonder, is it luck or is it something that they're not doing or they are doing? So if it was the same coach for seven years, you could just say, well, it's just bad coaching, but it's been different coaches. It's hard to put a finger on it. That's why during the season, it was like I, I was on here saying, my numbers tell me to take Texas, so I'm betting against Texas because that's just the way it works. It also, though, you're, the, the coaches and how many three coaches in seven years is a part mm -hmm. of the problem. You know, like yeah. I know they keep churning yeah. over, but what if you had – Given Tom Herman, you know, another couple years to influence that room. I mean, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but the turnover and constant turnover, I think, impacts on field performance for sure. They are so bad at the margins. Yes. Like it's just, it, it is a program that has developed habits. They are habitually bad at the margins. And I cannot wait to clip. I'm a computer. I don't know that. Beep, boop, beep, boop. <laughs> that's just going to be a good drop just yes. just just a good one to have uh especially Shout out to lfg in the chat who said bud is a jag plus robot adjacent <laughs> um all right we, we can't we got to fire the bud bop bud bot up again for this next one uh bud tweeted that georgia would be plus 49 versus the worst nfl team in terms of the uh the betting line what would you guys make the line of the worst NFL team against the NCAA All-American team? It's NFL rules, and you get to choose the scheme of your college football team. I'd guess plus 24, but with how impactful these first-round wide receivers are, I think it could be tighter. Also, I, I want to point out, I, I, I said, what would the line be? Like 49 question mark? And I actually got good two-way responses on this in my DMs from guys who I know bet for a living who call me an idiot on both sides. So, like, there's a lot of debate about this. Some people who I respect are like, no, it should be like 27. And other people are like, no, it's more like probably, you know, depending on if the pro team would play hard the entire game, it would be like 56, 60. I, I think I'm probably high at 49. Like, if I had to take actual money on it, I'd probably go like 42, 44 after kind of having some back and forth. But – this more this other question is more fun because the the reason why it's 49 is because Georgia has a couple guys who would be very good players or at least promising players on an NFL team 
They also have some guys who Ohio State exploited, right? And other teams right. exploited. They would get picked on the entire game. So the, the All-America team is pretty fun. That's what I was thinking is that uh, ultimately while Georgia turns out a, a ton of pros, it's not at every single position. Mm -hmm. And so now we're not only talking about future pros, we're talking about the best in the country at all these different positions. So 49 is too many daggum points for an All-American team without a Way doubt. Way too many. Wasn't there, I, there, there has been a college all-star game though, hasn't there? There like was the past. one. It was in Chicago. And they played it for like 30 or 40 years back when uh, lesser guys decided to go pro and would choose other careers. The college team would routinely uh, play well. And then as it got into the 70s, I think the last year they played it was like 74 or something like that. Then the pro team started spanking them pretty good. So uh, when, when professional players actually started taking it seriously, like, correct. I mean, health. And physicality, <laughs> like the, <laughs> right. the, the NFL started taking things seriously because they the money started smoke break in. between yeah, quarters yeah, and working at hardware store in the offseason. Uh, well, once the money got real during the NFL games, too. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, the NFL team, I think, is there's some some stuff we have to ask here as a follow up. Does the college team get to practice and act like a team, or is it just an all star team that like they come together for the Super oh, Bowl? No, we get uh, two weeks of practice. I think when we get to pick the scheme, then you've got to I have the idea that we're implementing the scheme. Okay. Um, Tom, what do you think on this? This is interesting. I would be... See, 27 I, and a half. No, I think it's more in the 40s and the 50s just because of time. Like, if the NFL team is up 50 in the third quarter, they're not going to... Are they going to keep going? Or are they just going to kind of, you know... Once the game's in hand, how hard are they going to keep playing? So it's like what you're saying in the DMs. Well, if the team plays hard the entire 60 minutes, it should be closer to 56. Well, I don't think they're going to. So I would probably set it somewhere between 45 and 49. Not purely against numbers. the All Star team. Against an All Star team. Yeah, yeah, I thought that's what we were debating. Like, yeah, college, yeah no, I'd still team. be in the 40s. Wow. All right, hold up. Like, so what team are we assuming here? The Colts, Texans, or the Texans are the worst team? The Bears the have the number one pick. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Yeah, who, but, who, who, they got Justin Fields. 45. I think the Texans had the worst roster. Yeah, that's what I, I was. I was All thinking right. Texans because we're going up against Davis Mills. You know, Damian Pierce is your starting running back. Your wide receivers are how many Brandon of the Texans Cooks? would start on the All America team? That's kind of like that's kind of where you needed to just go guy by guy, and then you need to apply some kind of modifier for the fact that we only have two weeks of practice. Marvin Harrison is wide receiver one on the Houston Texans. If Caleb Williams up. is QB one. Mm -hmm. B. John okay, so Robinson is a better 30, player than Pierce. 35 and a half. I think you got to take I'm it. Taking, I'm taking the all-stars at that. Like, I, yeah, I think I'm this taking number, points. Yeah, I, I think this number is like in in like the low teens. Daniel Leonard Cannell, you've played in the NFL. <laughs> I know. And you're I mean, taking the college all-star team. You have seen what those teams really look like. Come on. I'll put it at 27 and a half. What was the what was the worst team you played on in the NFL? Like the like the worst year and like like do, do you remember? So my my when I thought the difference in the good teams and the bad teams because I was on both, you know, my rookie year and the, the Giants we were bad. Dan Reeves got fired. We were four and twelve. Dave Brown was the quarterback. When I went to Atlanta, they had just come off the Super Bowl, lost one player in Jamal Anderson, and we went four and twelve. Um, and then I was in the Broncos and we were good. To me. It's not about the talent. It's about the players throwing in the towel. You know, like it's more of a mental because the parity across the NFL is real. So like when you do talk about the rosters, yeah, the Texans or the Bears or the Colts might have one of the worst rosters in the NFL, but it's not like the difference in Georgia and, you know, New Mexico or, New Me you know, like it's not that big of a difference. It's pretty slim across the board, which is why you know, a lot of times late in the season, you see a team that's a two-touchdown favorite and the underdog beats them, you know? Yeah, so like Texans won outright as like a 17-point dog. Yeah, it's a good example. Have we, I mean, have we seen this? Here's the Texans depth chart. Like, who? Which of these guys are playing on the All-America team? All right, Davis Mills, no. Uh, Damian Pierce, no. Brandon Cooks, is he still good in the NFL? Yes. Yeah, he's All still right. good. <laughs> I think Cooks Cooks is probably like like at least as good as as whatever guy you want to play. Like 
Marvin Harrison's going to play, and so will Cooks. I'm not sure that Jordan Addison's like starting over Brandon If if the Houston Texans, if the Houston Texans played their season in the Pac-12, how many other players would be on All-American teams? All of them. Sure, but like you can't tell me you'd rather have Davis Mills today than than Caleb Williams, right? (sighs) No, you can't say that, Tom. Right. And you would no, not that, take, if you, you went would not with like Damian Pierce okay, over John two weeks. Davis Mills has seen a lot more scheme. He's seen a lot more defenses that Caleb Williams hadn't seen. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like I just don't know how. I think Caleb Williams is more talented, but playing on a team full of guys he hasn't played with against an NFL team. Well, read off the defense. Okay, uh, it's a Okoro Ronco. Uh, for left defensive end, I, I really don't pronounce his name very well. Uh, he's from Oklahoma, fifth round pick in 2018. Malik Collins is lefty tackle. Roy Lopez is your right D tackle. Jerry Hughes is your right defensive end. Christian Harris, we've heard of him. Obviously, he was on an All America team last year. Uh, Chris, or, uh, Christian Kirksey, uh, Jalen Reeves Maven is your other linebacker. Steven Nelson is your left corner. Jonathan Owens is your strong safety. Jalen Petrie is your free safety. Desmond King is your right corner. Okay, is Derek Stingley healthy in this simulation? Uh, he looks like he's on IR. But I'm saying so, in our simulation, yeah, is let's Derek put Stingley healthy? healthy? So okay, we'll put him out. on there, sure. So, like, Derek Sting, Trevius Hodges Tomlinson is not cornerback one, but he's cornerback two. Okay, so and if... Will Anderson starts... Ringo, Ringo would start on this team, right? Jalen Carter starts... Ben Carter easily starts. Will Anderson starts. Um, who else starts? Elijah Cancy. He's probably getting some run. Um, I mean, you, you look at look at these guys. mock drafts right now. They're an NFL team. They practice like eighty hours a week. Yeah, right, but every fine. single one of these guys is going to be an NFL player literally seven months from now. Uh huh. But they haven't been playing together for seven months. All right. What would you put the line of the All America team against Georgia? All America team minus eight and a half. Yeah, somewhere around ten. Because that's somebody basically. doesn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is this is such a this is a dumb thought. Here's the, here's the thing: Brock Bowers would just absolutely abuse Jack Campbell. They would just circle Jack Campbell, and they would just be like, "Okay." Mismatch. Let's mm-hmm. go. We're going at him because that's that's what Georgia did to. Uh, didn't Georgia do that to Eichenberg in the semifinal game? They were just like, yeah. "You, here we go. We're just going to scheme everything to put you would, in conflict, and our freak athletes are going to be able to make a play." Would Tyree Wilson start on, on the Texans? Debate not not clearly. I mean, let's, let's gotta, we got to consider receiver like injuries too because they've also got Nico Collins, they've got OJ Howard, they've got Brevin Jordan. It's just like they've got a lot. They've got John Mechie. Like they've got a bunch of dudes who they've you know they were tanking, so they put a bunch of dudes on IR as soon as they got a little nicked up. And by the way, I did just say that it would be twenty-seven and a half, like four whole touchdowns, NFL rules with a running clock. Like I mean, there, there are limits to how many points you can even score in this situation. Yeah. I'm Most t- important question you guys haven't asked. Who's, Who's coaching? Coach? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's oh, yeah. I mean, because this that's where I think coaching matters so much more in the NFL when you talk about scheming up things, both sides of the ball, where, you know, college, you can go out there, and if you're a team with that much more talent, you can just steamroll them. Like, that's the thing. You're not going to be able to just steamroll even the Texans with the best offensive line that you could assemble from the college all-stars. That, to me, would be the biggest difference. Because even the younger, talented offensive linemen, it, there's an acclimation period that you can't get up to speed in two or three weeks to prepare for an all-star game. That's where I think you would see the massive disparity. You know, seven on seven, I think it'd be fun. Like, you could have a really good matchup. But with the offensive and defensive lines in play, that's to me what would stand out. I would want a surprise announcement for both teams at halftime to let them know about a cash reward. Don't tell them beforehand and then just see what happens. Like maybe it is 14-14 at halftime. You tell both sides there's a cash reward, and guess what? Uh, college team ain't scoring another point. Like you said, Texans <laughs> come out there and physically impose their will uh, the rest of the way. 
um, we'll, we'll uh, apologies in our future mailbag episode. We got a good question for Pitt's quarterback room. Uh, Wisconsin's transfer portal additions. We got a short about it, bud. It's already posted, right? Yeah, guys, go check out the our, our short section on YouTube. It's pretty cool. Like we drop a lot of stuff that maybe just wouldn't always make the show. Sixty seconds or less, quick takes, and uh, Jordan also cuts like funny stuff or, or good takes from the show as well. So yeah, if you guys haven't clicked on the shorts tab, or if you're just a, a listener, maybe head on over to YouTube page, check subscribe. that out. Just subscribe. Come on, yeah. just do that. All right. So one quick yeah. note: it uh, looks like Arkansas already has its replacement, and it will be Dan Enos, uh, who's who's been around, man. Dan Enos is back at Arkansas. Dan Enos back at Arkansas as the offensive coordinator. Uh, he was at what Miami, Alabama, where else? Uh, he's been at Maryland uh, for the last two seasons. He was one of the first guys to do the uh, the Sean Lewis right leave as a head coach of a MAC mm-hmm. team to go be a yeah. coordinator somewhere. Left yeah. Central Michigan to go be Arkansas's offensive so offensive coordinator. Yeah. Under enthused? Are we enthused? I don't think he's. I just, it's. Mm, I don't right. hate it. Yeah, it's. Trying to think. I just, it's. it's I'm wondering if, plus. Yeah, but big <laughs> getting the band back together energy. Yeah. Late, kind of. Calling just, just like you need somebody to come through in a pinch. So you call, call your old buddy to be able to come and, and help you out for a little bit. Let's see. Let's see how we can get this thing done. I mean, I, I've liked Maryland's offense the last couple of years. It's not all that dissimilar to what Arkansas was doing. It's just Arkansas was more run heavy, whereas Maryland was more pass heavy. If he gets a multi-year uh, contract, it's probably a huge win for Enos uh, because Maryland did lose a ton of talent off this roster for mm-hmm. offense. So, I mean, there is a chance Maryland's offense is not as good this upcoming year, and that would reflect on him. So now he gets to jump after having a pretty, you know, pretty solid year. With Maryland's offense. Yeah, Daninos gets Talia back, but loses, I think, all of those wide receivers that made that offense really, really tough to stop. And Bama took their tight end in the portal. Yeah. So, um, Enos, it's looking like, uh, is going to be the next offensive coordinator as the shuffle continues. Garrett Riley from TCU to Clemson. Uh, Kendall Bryles from Arkansas to TCU. Dan Enos from Maryland to Arkansas. Back in Fayetteville. And you can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Pernell. You can follow him at Flood Elliott 3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See ya. See ya.